90.3 RLC WBPH FM Piscataway. It's the core news for the week of Monday, March 28th. March came in like a lion, and it's kind of going out like a lion. With only a few days of March left, we've still got temperatures in the 40s and that unpleasant chilly wind. But don't worry, I'm sure spring is just around the corner. That groundhog wouldn't have lied to me. But until the groundhog's prediction comes true, we'll keep you warm with some lovely news. This week on the Core News, we've got the WikiLeak of the Week. Some local news. Mary Duke of the Daily Targum talks to us about Rutgers News. Nana brings you the environmental update. You'll find out what's happening this week at the Rutgers Zone. If you're looking for a snooky after party, that might be the place to be. We've got some new music news and your comics and gaming with DJ Calamari and Nerdpocalypse. But first, here's Amy Bronstein with the war update on Iraq and Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, the New York Times reported that in response to threats from the Afghan Taliban, cell phone service has been shut down in the Helmand province since mid-March. Ahmad Shah Lemar, head of the regional office of the Afghan wireless communications company, said that in the face of repeated threats of killing employees and burning down cell phone towers, representatives from the regional service providers met and decided to continuously shut down cell phone service until further notice. On Wednesday, March 23rd, Specialist Jeremy Morlock of the Stryker Brigade in Afghanistan was given a sentence of 24 years for killing Afghan civilians for sport in a plea deal in which he agreed to testify against 12 other soldiers. The group of men allegedly hunted down civilians and then planted weapons on the corpses to cover up the killings. Trophy pictures in which American GIs pose with corpses had been kept under lockdown by the U.S. out of fears of stoking Afghan outrage or influencing investigations. But the Monday before Morlock's sentencing, German newspaper Der Spiegel leaked three of the images. Two depict different accused members of the American kill team posing with the corpse of Golmudin, the son of an Afghan farmer. Smiling Americans lift up the dead man's head by a handful of hair and give a thumbs up to the camera. And for Iraq, Andre Shepard, an Ohio native who deserted the U.S. military in 2004, is seeking political asylum in Germany. After serving in Iraq for six months... Shepard went AWOL from a base in Germany, a violation which could end him up with life imprisonment or worse. However, Shepard has taken his case public. After marrying in Germany and networking with human rights organizations, Shepard plans to challenge the justifications for the Iraq war as fraudulent in a European court of law in a bid for political asylum. Even allies believe his prospects are grim, as Germany is a major NATO ally and the German police routinely pick up American deserters and return them to the U.S. military. I'm Amy Bronstein with the Core News War Update. I'm Michelle Norris from NPR News, and you're listening to the news on 90.3 The Core. And now for the WikiLeak of the week. Daniel Ellsberg, the man who leaked the Pentagon Papers, which discredited the Vietnam War, was arrested with 30 others at a rally in support of Bradley Manning at Quantico Air Base in Virginia. Bradley Manning is accused of leaking video of American helicopters killing a journalist and cameraman as well as nearly 250,000 confidential and secret documents to WikiLeaks. Demonstrators had planned to lay a wreath at the Marines raising the flag at Iwo Jima Memorial, but were denied access by military security. Protesters reacted with a spontaneous sit-in, which led to tensions rising, as riot police on horseback, some armed with assault rifles, dragged the sit-in participants away one by one, including 72-year-old Ellsberg. Bradley Manning has been kept in controversial pretrial detention at the base in Quantico for nearly a year. 
He has been kept in solitary confinement and using a suicide watch loophole, correctional officers have stripped Manning of clothing and blankets. On March 19th, Indian newspaper The Hindu began publishing diplomatic cables from the U.S. Embassy in New Delhi, including one which says that U.S. and Indian allies used a $25 million fund to pay off the Indian Congress before a 2008 vote of confidence on a controversial civil nuclear deal. The nuclear deal was so contentious it led to the Communist Party withdrawing support from the ruling coalition in 2008. I'm Amy Bronstein with your WikiLeak of the Week. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. And now to find out what's going on in central New Jersey, Middlesex County, and of course our very own Piscataway. Here's Sarah Morrison with the local news. Two standoffs with police in two days shattered the security of the unusually serene neighborhoods of Hatton Park and Piscataway over the weekend. The first one on Friday involved 61-year-old Peter Wright of Highland Park who barricaded himself inside his Highland Park home after making threats to police with a hammer. An army of first responders, including SWAT teams, police from Highland Park, New Brunswick, and Rutgers, and the Special Operations and Response Team were called in to talk Ray out of using a gun after he placed a 911 call threatening to use his weapon. Turned out to be a hammer, though. The standoff lasted five hours, and life continued normally for the school and preschool nearby the South 10th Avenue building where Ray held himself up. The decision was made to evacuate towards the end of the standoff around 3 p.m. SWAT teams ended the standoff by restraining Ray and entering his apartment. He is now charged with terroristic threats and unlawful possession of a hammer, amongst other charges. In Piscataway, the second standoff did not end on as relieving a note. Police confirmed that Sergeant David Powell was shot and killed early this morning after he fired a submachine gun at police who were responding to a 911 call of a neighbor who heard gunfire. Powell moved into the Parkside Avenue home with his sister after going through his second divorce. Friends and force members said that the retired police officer had a mercurial personality and they were concerned for his personal safety. Authorities believe that Powell, who served on the force for 22 years, started his standoff with police when fellow officers sent him text messages and called him regarding a restraining order that he violated. He soon after told authorities that he had hostages and would not cooperate with police. This resulted in a 10-hour long standoff with authorities that went until approximately 1.40 a.m. this morning. Authorities discovered that Powell was holding no hostages and investigators are currently looking into which bullet killed Powell. He was 46 years old. We've been keeping up with the Middlesex County Democratic Chair Corruption Case at 90.3 The Core. Carteret Mayor Dan Ryman folded his bid last Thursday for the party seat, which was recently vacated by Joseph Spicuzzo after he was brought up on various corruption charges. Ryman pulled out of the race in order to endorse Peter J. Barnes Jr. No candidate is going up against the 84-year-old Barnes. The 34-year-old Ryman pulled out after Barnes announced his intention, and other candidates flirting with the idea, including 38-year-old labor leader Kevin McCabe, have not commented since Barnes made his decision. The special election for the vacant slot will be held in June. The Edison Public Library has announced layoffs and furloughs following $300,000 in budget cuts. Furlough dates will close the library once a month for the rest of the year in an attempt to save money, and seven positions at the town's three library branches were removed. Township Library Director Judith Mansbach says that the cuts are difficult, but they are necessary to keep the libraries functioning, and she is sorry for the inconvenience that this will cause to the public. 
Edison Police Chief Thomas Bryan was suspended without pay last Tuesday after seven administrative charges were filed against him. However, his pay was reinstated this morning until his April 15th disciplinary hearing. Bryan faces six charges of insubordination and failing to follow orders. When ordered to return his badge and gun, he did not do so directly to the appointed person, which awarded him a seventh charge of insubordination. Bryan filed a lawsuit on Friday against the town for he believes that he and other officers were either moved around or replaced in order for Mayor Mayor Tony Resigliano, who is facing accusations of corruption herself, to gain control of the police department. All matters are currently under investigation. Governor Chris Christie paid a visit to New Brunswick today to discuss redistricting with the committee responsible for shaping the 40 New Jersey voting districts. The 11-member redistricting committee heard from Christie at the Heldridge Hotel in New Brunswick, where they are staying to have closed-door meetings until the new map is due in Trenton on Sunday. Governor Christie's involvement is unusual for a governor and has not been done before. Christie commented to the committee that the current redistricting system, which favors Democrats, is not a fair dividing system, and that he has the full trust of the committee, made up of five Republicans, five Democrats, and one court-appointed independent, to redraw the districts in a fair manner. In university news, Rutgers University announced Friday that it will pay commencement speaker Tony Morrison $30,000 for her services, the first time that the university has paid a commencement speaker. The university has declined to comment where the money is coming from to pay her. The payment is following a recent trend at universities to pay the speakers instead of giving them honorary degrees to entice them to speak at their graduation. I'm Sarah Morrison here on 90.3 The Core. You're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core. When we come back, we'll speak with Mary DeDuke, editor-in-chief of the Daily Targum here at Rutgers. The Core News will be back right after this. Hi, this is Sean Bones, and we're listening to the news on 90.3 The Core. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Right now, it's time to find out what's been happening around Rutgers with Mary DeDuke. She is the editor-in-chief of the Daily Targum, Rutgers' own daily newspaper. All right, so Mary, what is happening with Rutgers Fest? Okay, so when Rupa first announced the lineup for Rutgers Fest last month um, at their King of Pop event, uh, they only said that they were going to have two artists, Pipple and 303. But they also just announced that they signed on two weeks ago a rapper named Yellow Wolf. So Yellow Wolf, he, where's he from? He's from Alabama, and he signed under Eminem's uh, label, Shady Records. Okay, so if people aren't familiar with these artists, Pitbull is also a rapper. Mm-hmm, yep. And then 303, what are they like? They're kind of like pop electronic. You can hear their music on any, you know, top 100. Yes, and, and they did channel. a guest appearance on Hellcats. Yes. <laughs> so what else? Are there any other differences in Rutgers Fest this year? Um, basic. Oh, there's also going to be increased security from what I've heard um, because of the events last year. Basically, there was a lot of underage drinking and it got pretty crazy here on campus if anyone remembers from last year just by walking outside especially around college ave um it was pretty insane so rupd says that they will be stepping up their security this year so we'll see what happens and also breakfast fest will be on bush campus this year not on livingston um it's on a friday night so it's in april and it's also not you know the, around the end of class time so 
we'll see what happens. So did they, it's going to be on April 15th, whereas traditionally it was on like the last Friday of classes. Do you think they made that move so that kind of there would be less of a party atmosphere? I'm not sure. I've um, People from Rupa have said that that wasn't the case, but we who knows ultimately. And there have been a lot of changes to Rutgers Fest over the years. Back in the day when they first started Rutgers Fest, it was held in Diner Park, which, if you don't know, is the park that is behind the river dorms, and it's actually built above Route 18. So if you're on Route 18 and you go under that like big underpass thing, that's actually a park. So obviously the event was smaller then because they could fit everybody up there. Then they moved it to Bush. Then a few years ago they moved it to Livingston. And I don't know, I'm glad they're moving it back to Bush because mm-hmm. I feel like on Livingston, they held it in the parking lot and right. there was like a chain link fence around it and all the generators yeah. they had were just like reverberating across. It was just, it was, it, it mean, just was not a nice atmosphere. Yeah, not in all the, you know, the boring parking lot. So we'll see. And the, all the, the reason why they changed it was mainly because of the construction going on. So, yeah. Well, so that should be nice. And also... I believe they are, Ruba is curtailing the presence of student organizations at Rutgers Fest. It used to be that before the musicians came on in the carnival area where they have, you know, the games mm-hmm. and the food and the bouncy houses and stuff, some student organizations would maybe put on performances or sometimes have tables and they've been backing off of that. I oh. don't think there are going to be many this year at all. So, Oh, I haven't heard about that, but um, that's definitely something to look into and we'll... We'll see because that's not that's not too good for the student organizations, but yeah. But well, actually, the the core has gone to Rutgers Fest, and we found that the student organizations were asked to pack up before the music started, and most people don't show up until shortly the before the music started. is going to start. So it, it it was kind of uh, a moot point, I guess. Right. Well, that could probably be, you know, um, based on what the artists want. Um, so. Although one thing I would like is they used to have fireworks at the end of Rutgers Fest, which, I mean, I like fireworks. That'd be nice. That would be awesome. I think everyone likes fireworks. Maybe they could use some of that money that they spent getting Toni Morrison to talk at commencement. This is true. uh, How much did they pay her? Like $30,000? Yeah, the Star Ledger reported $30,000. So do you know, is this common? I don't recall hearing about commencement speakers being fed... um, from what I understand, this is one of the, if not the first time that we've paid a commencement speaker. I could be wrong on that because I don't know the history of commencement speakers. But yeah, she's a pretty big deal. And this, you know, like we said last time, this is a huge deal for Rutgers that they're switching it. So they're mm-hmm. trying to get as many people to fill, to fill the 52,000 seats in that stadium. Oh, well, see, that would explain why they would want I mean most people don't care that much about a commencement speaker but I can see why getting a big name to make sure people are really motivated to go to this first commencement right yep so what else is going on around Rutgers what kind of events are coming up in the next few weeks Um, well this weekend is dance marathon which happens every year and it's the largest student run philanthropy in the state Um, so obviously at Rutgers is the biggest um, last every year so far, um, or at least in the past couple of years, it's been a record, a record year for Dance Marathon. Most dancers, most participants, most money raised. I think last year they raised around three hundred twenty thousand dollars for the Embrace Kids Foundation. So hopefully they can set a new record again. And it's a thirty-six hour event. Thirty-two, thirty-two okay. hour event. And it starts on Saturday. Yes. So and then the goal is. 
that the participants or the dancers they can't sit the entire time they're not dancing the entire time but they mm. can't sit that must be brutal uh, yeah I, I have a bunch of friends who do it I've never done it <laughs> though I can't say I have but it it does look brutal yeah. well I guess if you want to check it out then you can go to it this weekend I believe that it's going to be held at the College Avenue gym the College Avenue gym on uh, College Avenue campus <laughs> yeah. so what else is uh, what else is going on at Rutgers or in the Rutgers area uh, well in downtown New Brunswick the Gateway Center is going up as I'm sure Many people have seen by the bookstore that whole plaza. It looks re- it looks pretty nice. That really big building. It looks like they're finishing off the parking deck and everything. And um, the wellness plaza is going to start construction soon. And that's going to include a new grocery store, which might be easier for Rutgers students to access um, around the whole Church Street, Patterson Street area. So, what is currently where the wellness center is going to be? What is currently there? I believe it's a street. They're taking out a street. Really? Um, I don't remember the name of the street off the top of my head, but it is a street. Yeah, there's precedent for that because the area where the Johnson & Johnson headquarters is, that mm-hmm. tall white building next to the train station, that used to be a few blocks in New Brunswick. Oh, wow. And my dad said that when he was a kid, there were... Um, you know, like there was a movie theater in there, one of those like old-fashioned movie theaters, mm-hmm. and like all this stuff and now it's just it's completely gone it's Johnson and Johnson you'd never know it was there yeah I mean New Brunswick downtown area is definitely changing Mm -hmm. and the grocery store especially is being touted for not only college students but for the citizens of New Brunswick where it can be hard for people especially low-income people to find fresh groceries yes it um it does provide it or it will provide um, fresh produce and like a variety of different types of foods, Chinese food, et cetera, specialty foods for for lower prices than, you know, those specialty markets um, in other areas. So it, it will be healthier and hopefully less expensive too. So I've been speaking with Mary Duke, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Targum here at Rutgers. If you'd like to find out more about any of these stories, you can check out the Daily Targum's website, which is www.dailytargum.com You're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm The Core News will be back right after this. Hey, this is Ricky from the band City Rights from Australia. You're listening to The News on 90.3 to The Core. You're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. This is Nana with the 90.3 The Core Eco Environmental News Update. On March 16th, the cargo ship, the MS Oliva, ran aground on the coast of Nightingale Island, a remote island in the South Atlantic Ocean. It dumped approximately 800 tons of crude oil into the water, delivering an oil slick to an ecosystem that is home to the rockhopper penguin species. The crew of the ship was rescued. There are hundreds of birds oiled from the shipwreck. Many are being heroically rescued and cleaned. Now let's go to New Jersey. We're here, right? There's an amphibians crossing project I want to tell you about. It is jointly sponsored by the Conserve Wildlife Foundation, the New Jersey Audubon Society, and New Jersey's Endangered and Non-Game Species Program. So you know that spring is in the air even though it's pretty chilly today, right? 
But when the temperatures float around 40 degrees and it's more rainy and misty, the wood frogs, the salamanders, the spring peepers wake up from their state of hibernation and they head for a body of water even a small pond will do to lay their eggs. Many have crossed, have to cross roads in the process of getting to that water. So volunteers from these three organizations lend a hand to get them safely across the street. The amphibians usually are on the move when it's rainy and the volunteers know the wooded roads to check and then they usher them to safety, picking them up and getting them across the street. A single car can roll over and crush dozens when they are road crossing to get to that water. On a recent two-night span, volunteers saved approximately 700 amphibians. The good thing about amphibians is they eat all kinds of insects, so having a few amphibians in your neighborhood is good for the balance of your environment. If you want to learn more about this story, Conserve Wildlife has a Facebook page, facebook.com slash conserve wildlife. Now, fertilizer and weed killer is not good for the insect-eating amphibians. Noting spring is here, dandelions are on the way. They are beautiful. And if you behead them before they puff out and recede for next year, you have helped your environment and enjoyed their beauty. I have a blade on a stick like a golf putter, and it is good exercise. You don't have to fertilize around here. We have clay soil. It holds nutrients, and in my experience, you can't kill the grass for it growing and replacing the weeds. All right, and the other thing is as I was driving here today, I noticed somebody picking up trash along the side of the road. It was just one piece of trash, but it thrilled my heart. Be a litter bagger, not a litter bugger. All right, thank you. That is the 90.3 The Core Environmental Eco News Update. It was never that big a deal. It's a great name. It'll it's do, a great you know, idea. We, 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 uh, we could have sat down and thought of some other band names, but it's like... The Core News. Oh, okay, that'll do. Hi, this is Lisa from the Rucker Zone, and we're just going to let you know of upcoming events for the week of March 28th. On Monday, March 28th, and Tuesday, March 29th, come in to watch the Women's NCAA Tournament, all the regionals starting at 7 o'clock. On Wednesday, March 30th, come in for weekly buzz time trivia at 9 o'clock. Register your team by 8.30, and free appetizers will be given to all participants. The winning team members receive RU Express cards, courtesy of Rupa. On Thursday, March 31st, come in for Zone Late Night after you see Snooki. We'll be giving out free pickles and enter to win a basket of GTL supplies and fist pump with our live DJ. Complimentary ice cream codes will be given and tokens courtesy of Are You Sure? On Friday, April 1st, come in for Friday Nights at the Zone with a live comedian. Join us from 8.30 to 11 and sample complimentary appetizers and drinks given out every hour. So come hungry. If you want to find more about our events and about the zone, go to zone.ruckers.edu. Oh my god, you're giving up pickles. That is amazing. Here's Justin Magic with this week's music news. Folk band Bon Iver have announced that they will be releasing a new album this June. They will be joined on the record by saxophonist Colin Stetson and guitarist Greg Lees. This will be their first new material since the 2009 EP Blood Bank. The reunion show for Death From Above 1979 ended in chaos at South by Southwest as police had to come in and break up rioters. Many in the crowd became rowdy as the band played on. The band stopped playing as they became aware of the situation outside. Police came in and were eventually able to calm the situation. This was the band's first live show since reuniting earlier this year. 
Leader of rap group Odd Future Wolfgang Keldemal, Tyler the Creator, announced the release date for his forthcoming album, Goblin, this week. Coming out May 10th, the album will feature hit single, Yonkers. And now for your 90.3 The Core Charts for the week of March 22nd. At number 10 was The Go Team with Rolling Blackouts. Number 9 was Toro E. Ma with Underneath the Pine. Number 8 was The Babies with A Revolver Exclusive. Number 9 was Bright Eyes with The People's Key. 6 was Diet Blonde by Smith Westerns. 5 was the self-titled album by Yuck. 4 was He Gets Me High by The Dum Dum Girls. 3 was Bayside with Killing Time. 2 was Radiohead with The King of Limbs. And number 1 was Telekinesis with 12 Desperate Straight Lines. With the 90.3 The Core Music News, this has been Justin Magic. Hello everybody, this is Andrew WK. You're tuned in and listening to RLCWVPH Piscataway. My name is Andrew WK, as I said earlier, and you are listening to the news on 90.3 The Core. This is Nerdpocalypse with me, DJ Calamari, bringing you the latest in comic and video gaming news. On March 23rd, the first full-length trailer for the highly anticipated Captain America, The First Avenger, was released. The trailer shows Chris Evans digitally edited to portray a scrawny Steve Rogers become the hero of World War II, Captain America. The trailer also gave a first look at Tommy Lee Jones' character, Colonel Chester Phillips, as well as showing some intense action scenes. The movie is really shaping up to be a summer blockbuster. For DC Comics, the rumors of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's role in the upcoming film The Dark Knight Rises has left fans a bit confused. Earlier this week, he was stated to be playing Alberto Falcone, aka the Holiday Killer, only to have other sources stating that he is not. So while his role is still a mystery, it is almost guaranteed that Gordon-Levitt will be in the film in some form. Finally, Nintendo yet again proved that they are the top of video game innovation with the release of the 3DS on March 27th. As the first 3D handheld system on the market that does not even require glasses, Nintendo is breaking new ground in both the 3D and video game world. The system is criticized for its low battery life and its high cost, but is praised for its design, gameplay, graphics, and wide assortment of games lined up already, such as Super Street Fighter 4, The Sims 3, and a re-release of the famous Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. From the company that brought us rumble packs, handheld gaming, and wireless controllers, it is no surprise Nintendo would take the first steps into the 3D realm. This has been Nerpocalypse's DJ Calamari. Stay tuned for some more great core radio. That's all for this week's edition of The Core News. We will be back next Monday at 7 p.m. right here on 90.3 The Core. Or if you will be busy studying for that midterm or recovering from the dance marathon or any number of things you might be doing next Monday, well, you can always catch our podcast online for your convenience at thecore.fm. If you'd like to contact The Core News, ask a question, suggest a news story, join The Core News team yourself, or, uh, you know, suggest some dance moves, then you can drop us some email at news at thecore.fm. The Core News has been brought to you by Amy Bronstein, Sarah Morrison, Nana, Justin Matchick, DJ Calamari, Stephen Yannick, and Mindy Hoffman. Stay tuned. Sounds Inflicted is coming up at 8 p.m. You've been listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core.